Recollections at 30. NBC, celebrating its 30th year of broadcasting, invites you to memorable moments of radio's earlier days. In this special series of broadcasts, you'll reminisce among NBC's vast and historic library of sound. You'll hear the stars, the songs, the great moments in sports and special events that have highlighted these 30 years of NBC network broadcasting. And here, guiding our recollections at 30, is Ed Herlihy. Good evening, everyone. Well, there are lots of recollections at 30. And all the recollections are filed away in NBC's great library of sound, where I spend so many pleasant hours every week preparing this show for you. Now, if you have a request, please be sure to drop me a postcard, because I assure you, I do make a very real attempt to fill them. Tonight's show, for example, has a number of entertainers that our listeners have said they wanted to hear. First... See if you can guess who they are. Three granddaughters of a former governor of Georgia. First names, Jane, Helen, and Patty. They were very famous in the early 30s for their distinctive singing style. And here they are. And who are they? Of a rhythm, 
Well, I'm sure you've guessed the Pickens sisters as they sang on the Magic Key program in January 1936. The name Joe Cook is synonymous with jokes. Joe was popular on both the musical comedy stage and in radio. He was also a juggler as well as a great teller of stories. He lived on a New Jersey estate which he called Sleepless Hollow. But what did Joe Cook sound like, my younger listeners have asked. Well, here he is. It turned out that Whittingham was a remarkable pig. He could smell an Indian four miles away. And vice versa, too, I dare say. <laughs> well, sure enough, in less than ten minutes, a whole tribe of Indians were riding around us in a big circle. <laughs> well, that made me laugh, and after I got my teeth back in, I said, Look, Paul, they're riding around in circles. They don't see us. But I guess they did, because just then an arrow passed clean through Paul's beard and came out with a quail. <laughs> Which is what you might call a bow and arrow escape. Then Uncle says, I'd like to sue them Indians, only you can't sue a Sioux because a Sioux ain't got a Sioux. In fact, they ain't got a red cent. Which is a pretty good joke in those days. <laughs> well, just, just then the chief yelled, hands up, we got your wagon covered. That, incidentally, was the origin of the covered wagon. I uh, beg your pardon, Mr. Cook. Yeah. My name is Count Squid, uh -huh. my card. Oh, thank you very kindly. <laughs> I am the world's greatest songwriter. Shake my hand. You're welcome. Didn't you used to play the guitar in Paul Whiteman's orchestra? Oh, yes, indeed, Mr. Cook. I thought so. But I am the world's greatest songwriter. I only play the guitar on the side. Is that so? Most fellas I know play it in the front. Oh, Mr. Cook. Yeah. Nevertheless, I am still the world's greatest songwriter. Yeah, I believe you mentioned that. But now, some people seem to think that Irving Berlin might be. Who? Irving Berlin. Never heard of him. <laughs> Did you ever hear of Jerome Kern? No. And I never heard of Victor Herbert, either. In case you were going to mention him. No, I was just... But are you lucky? Oh, did I win? What is it? I've just finished my latest song, and you, Mr. Cook, are going to sing it for me. Who, me? Clear the throat, please. Well, I'll try. Of course, of course, I, I, my voice isn't what it's cracked up to be. It's just cracked. <laughs> but uh, pass the pickles, Professor. He wrote this himself. We shall see. Well, away we go. Bill Johnson was a gentleman in trouble with his lady friend. He said, I'll go and patch things up so all these troubles will go away. <laughs> nice little rhyme you got there, fella. <laughs> That's good. Yes, I think so either. <laughs> he got as far as her front gate, decided that he better stop. Her ma was kind of angry, and he didn't like her father. <laughs> now, uh, nobody helped you with these words, did they? Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> well, they should. <laughs> I don't know where you got these rhymes, but you ought to put them back. So he said, I'll call her on the phone, cause I know she'll be all by herself. You know, Junior, if, if you would have sat all alone there, it would have rhymed. Yes, but I was careful. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to discourage you, but do you know what a rhyme is? Rhyme? Yeah. Sure. That's the stuff that comes on watermelons. <laughs> He's right, huh? <laughs> I didn't think he'd do. <laughs> but then he got a great idea that came just like a flash. 
He grabbed his hat and ran like he was in a hundred-yard race. <laughs> well, we're, we're getting used to it now. Straight to the Western Union, Bill Johnson quickly went. And on that postal telegraph blank, here are the words he wrote. I look better in my gray suit than I do in my brown suit. So I guess I'll wear my blue shirt suit tonight. Oh, how it shines. That was the famous Joe Cook as he appeared on Rudy Valley's program on March the 7th, 1939. Many of our listeners have asked to hear Jeanette MacDonald once again, and many of you have also wanted to hear Alan Jones. So, I've gotten both of them together. From a broadcast of November 1937, Jeanette MacDonald and Alan Jones in an excerpt from The Firefly, a movie in which they were starred. So that's The Firefly, eh? Si, senor. She is wonderful, no? Beautiful. Beautiful. Of course, senorita, The Firefly. I've come a hundred miles to hear you sing it. A hundred miles, senor? Oh, then I'm in your debt. I'll take your notes for it. <laughs> With full interest. One note for every mile. Love is like a firefly that in a fire and dies when it is gleaming. Love is just a possible a little firefly riding high in the sky. And more. And a kiss, senor. How much would that be worth? Five hundred. A thousand. Senorita, that kiss was beyond all reckoning. How much, senor? She kissed you. What do you say, senor? What do I say? Lend me a guitar. Here, senor. What do I say? The magic of a woman's kiss is false. Sweeter than wine If ever love were more than this I'd worship at its shrine My sense is real I still can feel 
One of the great contributions of radio has come in the field of public information. The radio newscasts and the radio commentator contributed vastly toward making ours the best informed citizenry in history. Recently, when I heard that labor was asking for a four-day work week, I was reminded of the day when the 40-hour week seemed such a big step forward. And in the NBC Library of Sound, I found the comments of commentator Dorothy Thompson on the Fair Labor Standards Act the day it became law. That was October the 24th, 1938. And I think you'll be interested in this excerpt, as I was, since it makes us realize how much a real part of our lives an experiment of 18 years ago has become. Here is Dorothy Thompson. Last night at midnight, the Fair Labor Standards Act, which passed Congress in June, went into effect. The act's pretty complicated to read, but it boils down to a few fairly simple provisions. Since this morning, no employer in the United States who is engaged in interstate commerce can pay a wage of less than 25 cents an hour, nor work his employees more than 44 hours a week unless he pays them time and a half for overtime. If he tries, you can sue him. By and large, the law covers all industrial workers. It also ends child labor. Nobody except a parent or a guardian may employ for wages anyone under the age of 16, and no one between the ages of 16 and 18 may work except in industries that have the okay of the Children's Bureau. This new law, furthermore, looks seven years ahead. In 1939, and for the next six years thereafter, the national minimum wage in the United States will be 30 cents an hour, and the working week will be reduced to 42 hours. In the third year, the working week has got to be cut to 40 hours, and at the end of the seventh year, the minimum wage must go up to 40 cents an hour. Now, of course, nobody knows how this law is going to work out. The first thing that ought to be said about it is that it's a brand new experiment. As far as I know, there's not any other country in the world, including Soviet Russia, that has ever legislated blanket wages and hours. The other thing that's unique about this law is that it sets down wages and hours for a period of the next seven years, regardless of such factors as the business cycle and regardless of production. A very optimistic attitude. In other words, we've legislated on the thesis that we will have a steadily increasing prosperity and a steadily increasing production. I hope it's right. This seems, however, to some critics of the bill, one of its most flagrantly unworkable features. These critics point out that in the present state of the world, where international trade is being hopelessly demoralized by the growth of new monopolistic trade systems, like the German and Japanese and Russian, the outlets for our products are being diminished, and we're facing some quite unknown factors. The champions of the bill belong to the school of economic thinking who believe that the chief trouble with this country is low purchasing power and that purchasing power can be increased by legislation and who believe that a general lowering of hours regardless of the state of production will increase employment by distributing it. If these people are right, then the Wages and Hours Act may prove to be an unmitigated blessing. If they're wrong, it may prove to have just the opposite effect. Dorothy Thompson's comments on the Fair Labor Standards Act, a unique experiment that became law only 18 years ago. 
Well, the quiz show has become a part of the American scene now, and just last week in the Library of Sound, I ran across an early example of the species in which I myself was involved. This was a musical quiz, and it may be of interest to you to catch the name of the vocalist, Frida Gibson. Frida Gibson went on to great success, even changed her name. Today you know her as Georgia Gibbs. Well, here's the quiz show, Melody Puzzles, we called it. Here is Melody Puzzle number four. The scene is the interior of an auto trailer parked in a clearing near a deserted farmhouse. Mr. and Mrs. Jones are apparently making ready for the night. Oh, I just know I'll never be able to sleep in this thing, Henry. Why, it's perfectly safe, Martha. What are you so fidgety about? You got me here with you, haven't you? Yes, but you heard what that little boy said. That old house over there is haunted. Oh, sure. Besides, I have a pistol here. You can't shoot a ghost with a pistol, Henry. Oh, ghost nonsense. You start getting ready for bed now. Uh-huh. I'm going to get the keys out of the car while I think of it. And don't you be gone long, Henry. Goodness, if I'd ever thought it was going to be like this. Boo. Who? Who is it? Henry. <laughs> Henry, do you want to scare me to death, sticking your head in the wind like that? Oh, Lord, Bother. Why can't you be cool like I am? Cool. I heard a noise. Turn out the lights. What noise? Where are you pointing? Look. Over there. It's a white face in the dark. Is it? Oh, wait, 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 where did I get my pistol? Why are you shaking so? Shaking? I've got to shoot that thing, haven't I? And I never shot a pistol before. Oh, it's, it's moving towards us, Henry. Stand, stand back, Martha. Oh, gracious, it's nothing but a cow. Henry? He- oh, good heavens, he's fainted. All right, sir, here's a chance for you. What do you think the title of our melody puzzle number four is? I wish I knew. I, wish I, knew. <laughs> I can understand how you feel. Thanks very much, anyway. <laughs> how about you, sir? What do you think Mr. Ghost Goes to Town? No, Mr. Ghost didn't come to this town at all. That isn't the title, I'm sorry to say. And here's our next contestant. What do you think the title is? Boo-hoo. Boo-hoo! You got it. You snatched it right out of the dragon's mouth that time. Boo-hoo, Freddie Gibson, and Harry Soller, if you please. <laughs> Feel 
Since we're playing musical puzzles, I'm going to be the quiz master on the next one. And the question is, what orchestra is this? It is and was very well known, and it's associated with the slogan, The Music That Speaks for Itself. And here it is. Was Richard Himber's orchestra. And thus, musically, we come to the end of another in our series of Recollections at 30. And even if you have no special requests, I'd like to hear from you just the same. What are your own recollections as you hear these excerpts from old radio shows? What selections did you enjoy the most? All of your comments aid me in putting together our future programs. So, until next week, good night for Recollections at 30. Ed Hurley has been your host on Recollections at 30. Next week at this time, there'll be another in this special series, commemorating NBC's 30th year of broadcasting. This is Fred Collins, hoping you'll be able to join us then for more of the great stars and great moments of the past. Recollections at 30 is directed by Bob Mauer. We hope you are enjoying the old-time radio programs on the RadioThen.network podcast. You will find many biographies and audio clips from the past on our blog. 
www.radiothen.network. Check it out and bookmark the blog which also indexes our podcasts. www.radiothen.network.